Tired of asking why? Welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast, where we are answering life's most difficult questions. Now, here's your host, Teresa Blaze. Hey guys, I just wanted to let you know, the interview that you're about to hear was originally recorded and sent out to the Teresa Blaze Show, but I thought that in light of everything that is going on with so much unemployment and so much questioning if there is hope or, you know, just stuff like that, I thought it'd be a really good idea to play it here on Unresolved as well. I think you're really going to get a lot out of it. Dan Miller is a good friend of ours. Uh, he owns 48days.com. And I I think you guys are just going to see a good cup of encouragement. So uh, check it out and uh, let me know what you think. I'd be real curious. So, yeah, there we go. Dan Miller from 48days.com. Thanks. Dan, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much, Therese. I've been looking forward to our conversation. Well. Well, you're not the only one that's here. I've also brought my husband because uh, I figured three is always better, right? So, Absolutely. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you. So let me ask you this, Dan. Why? What are you doing now since we've talked last? Well, a lot of things have happened. Actually, we've moved from Tennessee to Florida, which is a big deal. But I've had a lot of fun with that. But in terms of work, in spite of this being such a wild, crazy year, Work has moved forward just really, really well. I've had more opportunities to write, uh, speaking, of course, done virtually, but communicating with groups, growing our Eagles community, which you so kindly mentioned already, our coaching mastery program. We're having, you know, we're having uh, just a, a ton of people reaching out, people like pastors who thought they were absolutely secure. Obviously, economic things are going to affect businesses, but not churches. Well, all of a sudden, they aren't even allowed to meet together. And pastors are reaching out and saying, I thought I was secure. I need to look at some other options if things don't change. So we're having pastors reaching out, wanting to be involved in our coaching mastery program. So a lot of things mm-hmm. we're doing that provide hope and encouragement have accelerated during this crazy time we're in. So you mean to tell me that in spite of uh, a a pandemic, in spite of unrest in the streets, in spite of economic hardship, you're actually prospering? I thought that wasn't possible. (laughs) It may seem counterintuitive, but I, I actually had the biggest month I've ever had in July. I haven't looked at the numbers for August yet, this being soon after there after August, but July was the biggest month I've ever had. Yeah, you know, we just released, or it's the 20th anniversary of 48 Days to the Work You Love. I've got another book that is going to go to the layout editor this week. It'll go there on Friday to be published yet this year. But uh, I'm, I've never been more excited about the ways that we can continue again, bringing hope and encouragement to people. Amen on that. We're finding kind of the same thing is that, you know, our business has grown. Uh, We've added, since we talked last, we've added uh, two new clients. uh, We brought one on board last month and we'll be bringing another one on board this month. And our company's is doing better than it ever has. So, yeah. And then on top of that, um, I sell water filtration when I, you know, uh, as well, and that is starting to pick up. And so I just find it really interesting. I mean, you know, we could talk about 
all the ugly stuff that's going on. And believe me, I cover that in other venues. Um, but we're not here to cover that. We're here to talk about well, how can you actually thrive? How do you prosper, especially with your new book, 40, uh, well, not new, but newly released book, uh, 20, 20th anniversary. How can someone actually find work? I mean, the unemployment rate is skyrocketing. How could someone find work that they actually enjoy and they don't have to have a drudgery? Well, we have to be creative because certainly there have been challenges to the old traditional work models where people show up at a particular place in the morning and clock in, hang around a water cooler with their friends, you know, go to lunch together. I mean, that model has been challenged. And we may never go back to that fully, even when we're totally past this pandemic and the concerns about this particular virus. But a lot of companies have figured out, whoa, all of a sudden, we don't have anybody coming into the office and we're getting work done. I mean, I'm talking to company owners who have been amazed at how not only have they maintained the current levels of work that they wanted to accomplish, but things have increased. It seems that, you know, I mean, think about it. When people have to get in a car and drive for 50 minutes, you know, fighting traffic to get there, they're worn out, they're exhausted, they have to get up an hour early because of that. And all of a sudden, they're able to just get up in the comfort of their own home, no stress, no fighting traffic. They just start working there. Yeah, it makes total sense. So those are, and those are the kind of opportunities that have exploded. So mm-hmm. when people's old work model has been challenged or gone away, I mean, that's okay. That doesn't mean there are no opportunities. There are companies who are desperately hiring people as fast as they can right now with this change in how we work, which should be to everybody's advantage. And it's really interesting. How many Zoom meetings have we attended since <laughs> this whole thing started? <laughs> uh, I mean, seriously, how many Zoom meetings have we attended versus actually meeting in person? And I, I mean... I've attended whole conferences that were based in Zoom. And it's really interesting because now all of a sudden people are going, well, wait a minute. I don't have to go into an office and a job I hate. I can actually do something (laughs) from home. That's what my friend Joe was saying the other day. He was like, you know, he said, you know, I get, I'm really liking this. So working from home stuff, he, he works for one of the big school districts and you know he's you know doing the doing the uh, the technicians desk tech support yeah tech support from home and just but they ended up having to call him back in because I guess they've got to set up a bunch of computers for kids and stuff so he's you know having to go in the office he says and I, he said but I miss working from home all the time <laughs> I have to laugh because it's like this is our life man oh my so you're back yeah. <laughs> you know, well, it, it was kind of funny that way. So, Dan, let me ask you this, because in the original 48 Days to the Work You Love, you'd laid out a plan for someone to to find a job within 48 days. That's the premise of the book, correct? That's right. How has the book changed? And that's the first thing. The second thing, how has the pandemic changed how someone goes about finding work? Okay. Well, yeah, thanks for the question. This is the 20th anniversary edition. So 20 years, this book has been out there in hardback. I update it every five years. So 
2005, 2010, 2015, and now 2020. And I'm already making notes for what will be in the 2025 edition. That being said, about 30% of the book is very much the same as it was in that original version. So that process of looking inward and figuring out how God has uniquely gifted us and how to then transfer that into meaningful, productive, profitable work on Monday morning, that process of introspection has stayed the same. But oh my goodness, have the applications ever changed? (laughs) The way we work has changed dramatically. So in this new version, I address things like being a digital nomad being able to work from wherever, from wherever you want to without going into an office. I covered that. And of course, the book was written before this current pandemic happened. So it looks like I'm a genius in addressing that. <laughs> things like how to handle artificial intelligence interviews. There's some people that are going through a series of three interviews where they never interact with a real human, even though it appears to be that on the other end of the line. That's how to find crazy. a unique zone of genius. In the diminishing importance of college degrees, I mean, more and more co- or companies are saying, we don't really care if you have a degree because we can't find that it correlates with your value to the company. And then things like how to overcome the upper limit challenge. So those are all new things in this particular version that have not been there before. Now, it's a challenge as an author. You know, it's tempting to have a book that ultimately ends up 600 pages long, but we can't do that. So putting in new content means that I have to remove some, even though I think it's still valuable. But there's that challenge to still keep it a reasonable book in length, which it is, same length it was originally. But yeah, about uh, about 70% of the content is new. If someone is looking for a... Um a job, and you you brought up something that I had never even considered. AI is actually doing interviews. Can you oh, kind of expand on that? Absolutely. There's such sophisticated technology that people can go through. You know, what's your background? What's your work history? How do you relate to the people? How do you handle this kind of a, a challenging situation? I mean, anything we can come up with can be handled with AI, artificial intelligence, where it is actually a machine, a computer that's asking the questions. And with those being done virtually anyway, the fact that you're not there in person is kind of a non-issue. So that phone interview can be connected totally with virtual intelligence. When companies, if we take a company like Google or Microsoft or a big company, Boeing, like that, they get thousands and thousands of interviews. And when you think about the man hours required to weed through those resumes, the applications, and then to even do the initial screening interviews, which say would take 30 minutes, we're talking about thousands of hours, man hours. So if they can have people go through a process and narrow those 3,000 applications down to 30 really good candidates that have been screened through artificial intelligence, I mean, companies are moving to that every day. It saves them millions of dollars in you know, HR cost in doing that screening process to then narrow down. And then they may say, okay, here's three really good candidates for this position. We'll have the department head in that, in that department conduct personal interviews. But yeah, that's very, very common. I mean, companies that know what they're doing, I mean, smart companies are moving in that direction quickly. Wow. Um, I mean, I've heard about use of AI uh, in multiple 
because uh, on top of everything else, I'm a bit of a techno nerd. So I, I you know, I follow this kind of thing, but <laughs> I'd never heard about it in context of using yeah, AI. That's interesting. Yeah, I. We shouldn't be surprised. I mean, you know, think about we 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 invested in some software recently uh, for creating voiceovers just to see how that would work out. We can actually do a voiceover for a book or for a uh, you know for a podcast cover or a podcast intro or outro using AI, and the results are not bad. I mean, it's not perfect. Mm-hmm. It's not a hundred percent like a real voice, but it's pretty darn close. Well, here's here's an example. I mean, a common question is going to be, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? A computer can do a better job of responding to that than a person. And with AI technology, it'll help show them how you handle yourself in unstructured situations because that's not a very structured question. Tell True. me a little bit about yourself. It can gauge a whole lot of things, including the impression you're likely to make when you're inter- interacting with others and how articulate and confident you are, the tone of your voice, the level of enthusiasm. It can even tell how much you're smiling, what your mm-hmm. eyes are telling, because they may be, this may be done a video as well as audio. But all of that can be assessed instantly without ever talking to a real person. That's valuable information. That's and amazing. That Companies are using that big time. But, and, and that kind of brings up another uh, area. Um, Dan, what about like, not only are we dealing with AI, but a lot of people are afraid of um, robotic technology taking over their job. Well, there's, there's a real concern there, but it kind of begs a question because if you could be replaced by a machine, then maybe you need to look for something else that you could do. I mean, when we think about things that require, you know, compassion, human touch, I mean, those are not things that can be easily outsourced. Even this really brings to bear a rise of people going into the trades. I mean, having Mm -hmm. just moved into a new house, we have electric heating and air conditioning people, you know, roofers, plumbers, Mm -hmm. somebody that takes care of our pool, people that take care of our yard. Those are things that can't be outsourced. True. Those are things that have to be done by real people. Those people are perhaps more secure than people who moved into the high technology thinking that, well, there's where all the better opportunities are. But you may be competing with AI or with some kind of a robotic machine when you moved into those things. So there's been a, a real resurgence of people looking at real trades that they can get into. Now, this also brings up another issue, and that is a lot of people, you know, if AI is scary, well, if you start a business of your own, if you start a landscaping business, you go to Home Depot and buy a a mower and you show up at Dan Miller's house this afternoon and say, hey, I can mow your yard. I can do a beautiful job. Wow. You don't have to apply for that position. You don't have to go through a, a rigorous interviewing process. You don't have to compete against 3,000 other people. You just simply start that. And we're seeing a whole lot of people who are saying, you know, I don't like what's happening in corporate America. I don't like the use of technology in ways that seems to be invasive. And so I'm going to do something where I'm more in the driver's seat. Now, because of what's happening this year, this crazy year, where a lot of people have been at home for five months, 
because of this thing. We have a lot of what is referred to as accidental entrepreneurs. I kind of cringe at that title because I don't want anybody to feel like they've been forced into that. But a lot of people in looking at the options are choosing something where they're more in the driver's seat. And that covers the entire spectrum of work out there. Anything can be approached from that vantage point. I'm going to do this independently, get my own customers, do my own marketing, be responsible for the results. I get my income, take out my expenses. The rest is profit. Pretty model. I have talked about this almost ad nauseum in different ways, shapes, and forms on the show. I don't think it's going to be the government that fixes our problems. I don't think it's going to be uh, the government. Yeah, okay, the government may do their thing with the virus, but I don't think it's going to be the government that fixes the problems in the world. I think it's going to be the entrepreneurs, and I think it's going to be the church. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, I, I have zero confidence, not being negative or paranoid, but I don't expect the government. The government is a reflection of us, the real people out here. I mean, if it ever gets beyond that, it, it is a scary time. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's going to come from, I mean, we see universities are a reflection of what's happening in real life. I mean, they're, they've all got entrepreneurship programs now, not because they were the innovators in that space, but because they saw so many people who were not taking traditional career paths. They said, well, we better catch up and teach this as a viable option. Right. They used to see that as something really negative. I mean, the placement agencies and universities didn't know how to handle the kid who got graduated from college and now they have a window washing business or yarn mowing business or delivery business or they're doing something on Amazon. They showed them as unemployed. Their stats, they brag about who got those salaried positions. And it's only been in, in recent years, the universities are acknowledging the fact that a whole lot of their graduates aren't even wanting to get a corporate position where they get a guaranteed salary. That's been a real, so they're catching up in that. But yeah, I think the solutions, you're right. It's going to come from, from those of us who are entrepreneurs, from the church, people who are coming up with real solutions. You know, I remember when I was younger, uh, when I was going, finishing up my college and, you know, really didn't know what I wanted to do. I had a small computer business. And so I knew quite a bit about how to fix computers and make computers work for biz, for people and so on, so on and so forth. And I remember going into this job fair and they had somebody from Microsoft, they had somebody from, from Intel, they had somebody from Apple and a few other companies. And I reached out to them and I'm like, you know, I might be interested in, you know, doing something with you guys. And the first question they asked me, what's your GPA? 3.7, oh you know, and I'm sitting there going, I know more about computers than 99% of the graduates here. And you're sitting here cat- categorizing me because I don't have a perfect GPA. It's crazy. And this really ties into uh, something that I've said where the education system is absolutely broken. Okay. Mm-hmm. It is, it is only made to create employees. They punish creativity. What do they teach kids to do? Take a test and put down the right answers or you fail. Uh, right. Don't don't think outside the box, right? That's why, and, and, and Dan, I, I've said this a lot because I'm finding more and more it's true. I've learned more outside of school than I ever learned in it. Yeah, same here. I mean, I have two degrees, but 
I use maybe 2% of what I've learned in college. And the rest is just kind of knowledge floating in my head, if I even remember it. So, Dan, with that being the case, assuming that, that the traditional uh, model, the traditional path won't work for someone, how do they start to find that, well, maybe I need to start something on my own or find a new way to get a job? How would they go about starting that? Well, the first thing they need to do is look inward. It's easy to look outside and see somebody else who's been really successful. Somebody's using you know, FBA fulfilled by Amazon, or somebody has a little service business that they're starting, or somebody's mm-hmm. starting a manufacturing company. But those can be Band-Aid solutions if you're not careful. True. Is that something that worked for somebody else? So the first thing you do is look inward. And I tell people 85% of the process of having a confidence of proper direction in your career business comes from looking inward. So how are you uniquely gifted? What are your skills and abilities? What are your personality tendencies? What are your values, dreams, and passions? From those, mm-hmm. you ought to be able to get a pretty clear focus of what should the work that I do daily look like. Then you can decide, all right, is that best accomplished by going to get a traditional job? Mm-hmm. Or should I start something on my own? Because there's not really a job that fits me, <laughs> what I want to do. So then you, you start from that vantage point, but the first thing, that 85% is looking inward. 15% then is the application. How can I bring this into reality in work that I do? Mm-hmm. I mean, as, as an author, I mean, I love to write. Well, the opportunities for just being paid to sit, read, and think, and write, those are pretty slim. I mean, those are pretty hard to find. Right. I can't think of any right off. But the opportunity to go ahead and create my own content and then get it out there to the world, figure out ways to market that, spread the message, that I can do on my own. So what I most love doing does not translate well into getting a job. And we hear this from artists and musicians who are frustrated because what they do doesn't fit well into getting paid to do it hourly. You have to look for other kind of models. But in today's workplace, the other models, I mean, it's never been easier. And I don't want to minimize, I mean, it's not a walk in the park, but it's never been easier in terms of having ways to communicate with other people exactly. and having ways to share your message than it is today. I mean, in our case, it's so easy. And I, I tell people this all the time. You know, the opportunity is right there in front of your nose. All you have to do is look for it. I mean, you've got some skill and I guarantee you, you can, you can find some kind of a, a small uh, business or side hustle, you know, to bring in extra income. It's just a matter of getting off your tail and making it happen. It, it, it's easier now than I think it has ever been. Well, we have in front of my office in Tennessee, you know, beautiful eagle that was carved out of a standing cedar tree that didn't come back to life a few years ago. Now, the wingspan's about six feet across because it was takes advantage of the first two limbs that went out, but this beautiful eagle. Now, you're never going to sit down with a guidance counselor as a sophomore in college and have them say, you ought to be a woodcarver. Right. It just doesn't happen. See, those the, the things that colleges guidance counselors prepare us for are very traditional occupations. Teacher, plumber, electrician, brain surgeon, accountant, engineer, whatever. 
But when you may have a skill that doesn't translate easily into one of those things, and yet Terry, the young gal who did that Eagle is extremely talented in doing that. She did come from a corporate position where she was very valued and doing very well financially, but she just knew that there was something more for her. And she remembered how much she had enjoyed working in wood with her dad when she was a little girl. So she does this now. We've referred tons of people to her and she makes thousands and thousands of dollars for every piece that she does because it's so unique. But even there, I mean, she could be really good at wood carving. She could you know, be downtown Franklin, Tennessee on Saturday mornings, sitting in the park with some other old guys, you know, carving wood whistles or something. No, she took her unique talent and looked at, said, what is it that I could do with this that would go beyond just making birdhouses or something sim- simple like that? No, she does these beautiful, beautiful sculptures. You know, I'm reminded, you talk about someone taking a talent and um, uh, combining it. So I I have a good friend of mine. He's a youth pastor. Well, he was a youth pastor. He was my old youth pastor. In fact, um, uh, as of this recording, his podcast should be out in the feed. Um, but he discovered that he really enjoyed drawing and not just drawing anything, but drawing like cars and so he took that ability and has created a little business for himself drawing cars live on facebook he's gotten some notoriety in a cartoon magazine he goes live on this magazine page every monday night and he draws cars for clients and (laughs) and to me that that just shows me like you could turn anything into a business if you think hard enough Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, the people that do caricatures, I mean, like what you're talking about, that guy could show up at a business function and simply do caricatures of the attendees there. I mean, I know a guy who does exactly that. I've got one of me in a really cool car. It reminded me when you were talking about that, but the guy gets paid a hundred dollars an hour. He has a four hour minimum. So he'll go out, you know, and work a morning or whatever and works as much as he wants to or as little as he wants and gets paid because he's good at sketching people in their cars like you're describing with your friend. Yeah, and then I've got another guy. He's combined the love of God and the love of cars in a podcast. Now, I'm working with him to help him monetize this venture, but in my mind, it's a matter of what is your skill? What is your talent? And what is the thing you're passionate about? The other thing that's striking me too, Dan, is I know one big problem that I've seen not directly spoken, but hinted at is when you start talking about finding work you love. Um, I'm reminded a long time ago, we had an elder come over to our house and he was like, yeah, I have to go to work. And, 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 we talked to him and he's like, well, you know, and he's like, no, work shouldn't be something you love. It's something you have to do. And we see, I've seen this creep into the church. And anytime you start talking about, well, I'm making a profit on this. It's almost like they have a poor man's mentality. Like you gotta apologize for it. Well, that's a sad commentary on some of the uh, immature theology that we experience, Mm -hmm. but uh, the fact that we have to go to work, that we, you know, that work is a curse. I mean, that talks about early in Genesis, you know, work is a curse. Well, they don't read a couple chapters later where that curse was removed 
And God said, I'll never do that again. It'll never be that way. It'd be like what was back in the garden. You, you get to do this. Mm-hmm. You have the privilege of doing this, keeping things beautiful. It's, I mean, the, That's an interesting perspective, Dan. I don't think I've ever heard that before. I mean, I've heard the work is a curse thing, and you know, I've never believed it, but I haven't thought about the, that quote, curse being removed. That's cool. God wants us to prosper. That's clear. Yeah, he says that you will prosper even as your soul prospers. How in the world would a loving father create us so that we spend the majority of our time doing something we don't enjoy? I mean, I just can't imagine a a, a father that would do that. And I certainly don't want to see my heavenly father as somebody who would do that. And I think we're put here to, to be victorious, to enjoy what we're doing. The idea that we just wait till we get to heaven, everything will be okay. Well, that's a pretty sad commentary. That is an interesting perspective, Dan. That um, is. I, I don't. I don't think I've ever heard it put quite that way. That's that's brilliant. <laughs> and it's not something I had ever really thought about. I mean, no. I've always felt like, you know, um, no, you know, I, I I believe like you believe. You know, you got. You need to find work you love. You need to find work that you're passionate about. You know, we love what we do now, but it's taken us a long time and a lot of trials to get to this point. Then all of a sudden, I mean, and there's no degree out there for this that I'm aware of. Podcast production. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I might take a, might take some electric, you know, some audio courses or something like that, but you know, how. And and let's narrow it down. It's not just podcast production. It's podcast production for a specific niche. Yeah. True. But that seems to, I think what we're also touching on, Dan, is man's view of God. Is God the big ogre in the sky ready to smack you around? Or is he a loving father who gives good gifts to his kids? Yeah, well, my my answer is pretty simple on that. I'm going to go with option B. (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, um, I've been in both camps because uh, needless to say, my story has been riddled with a few interesting uh, encounters, but I now firmly believe that we have a loving father who doesn't, I mean, not that everything, you know, when you become a Christian, not that everything becomes rosy and perfect and, and sunshine and rainbows. It doesn't work that way. No. But he, he loves us enough that he gives us the desires of our heart. They hear me talk about referring to the old Zig Ziglar, you know, mantras about stinking thinking. And he asked, you know, do I ever struggle with my positive thinking? You know, I had to think about that. Hmm. Said, you know, I really am one of these guys that always sees the glasses half full. Mm-hmm. And I really don't struggle with that very much because I simply think it's a choice. Now, I don't want to just uh, trivialize, you know, our theolo- theology. But I choose to see God as a loving father rather than a capricious one who's going to smack me if I get my color outside the lines. But if he's really framed as a father, I mean, I I have three children Mm -hmm. and a bunch of grandkids. And as a father, I mean, I have to think, what is the most helpful for my children? How can I embrace their unique giftedness? Well, it's not by smacking them around. It's by encouraging them and the things that they do well and, and sharing with them the joy they experience in doing something 
really well. And I frame my relationship with my Heavenly Father in the same way. Be it accurate theology or not, it just serves me better in having a life that I want to live. I think you're right on, Dan. I mean, he loves his kids. He wants a relationship with his kids. And flat out, you know, we're told to be at peace regardless of the situation. <laughs> right. We're learning that. That, that, that. That's kind of hard. To, that's a little difficult at times. But that's what we're ultimately called to do is to be at peace. And uh, we and can't we're, we're be also at we're also called to take every thought captive. Mm-hmm. Last I checked, every means every. So, <laughs> so if your um, thoughts are destructive you know, so, and, and keeping you away from your goal, you know, you might want to take the, you need to take the time and, you know, do some rethink on it and, you know, and get your heart right before God. And Dan, I'll ask you this. How important is prayer in the uh, process of finding work you love in your opinion well finding work you love we want to use all the resources available to us and that's certainly one so time spent you know it's almost like breathing if you are simply exhaling all the time you'll turn blue and pass out you have to at some (laughs) point your body forces you to stop and inhale and to me prayer is like that if i'm just pushing my own efforts i'm simply exhaling at some point, I need to stop and inhale. I used as a verse uh, earlier today when I was recording my own podcast, I used uh, Psalms 23. Well, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Maketh me you know, rush out to finish another chapter in my book, to do another Zoom call, to make sure I watch the course that I need to have. This. Well, no, that's not what it says at all. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not want. I mean, that, but then the, the verse goes on. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. Those are not things we normally connect to productivity and making a living. But they're, they're important parts of living a meaningful life. So prayer falls in that arena where, yeah, I guess, take advantage of that supernatural wisdom. I keep a pad of paper beside my bed and I often go to bed with some kind of a question, something I can't really solve. Mm-hmm. I welcome the idea of going to bed because I know then is a time when I'm less in control of my conscious mind and I have more opportunity to hear from God. And I welcome those times where I, I'm going to wake up and then I wasn't can't have the thought. Wasn't it Thomas, was it Thomas Edison that slept in a chair with a ball bearing in each hand? Yes. I think you're the one that told that story. I think I heard that from you. Yeah, I did. He would uh, take a nap with a ball bearing in his hand over like a pie pan, tin pie pan, and knowing that when he just relaxed enough that the ball bearing would fall was that real critical time where he may get the next creative idea. And where (laughs) God can speak to us, where we're not as in such control of what our thinking is. Yeah, that's definitely true. It almost feels like, and I've been kind of chewing on it, on this off and on, but it almost feels like that this pandemic has forced us as a society to slow down. Oh, it really has. Yeah, absolutely. When you're not able to travel, I mean, you're not able to fly somewhere. I mean, all those commitments that people had all, all of a sudden just taken off. Wow, slow down. I've got two major conferences that I was scheduled to speak at this month. Well, 
I'm still going to, but instead of jumping on a plane, you know, and blowing three days, you know, one to get there, one to be involved in the event, one to come back, I've got about a 45 minute time frame. That frees up a whole lot of time for me to be able to do it virtually rather than being there in person. So, yeah, I think there's a, a real wave effect of slowing down that people have experienced. More family time. I mean, we just picked mm. up new new pads for our the furniture on our lanaya around our pool here in Florida. And I asked the guy, just, you know, how's business going? He said he's never had it so good because wow. more people are spending time in their backyards and they're, you know, fixing up their their decks and areas where they relax. He said he's never seen such an explosion of business as what he has right now. That is absolutely fascinating. And I think tied into where you're talking about Psalm 23, what's what's coming to mind is where God tells us, hey, take a rest. You don't have to run 24-7. I think the thing that has made us most productive in what we do is that every uh, Shabbat, Every, every Friday night to Saturday night, we take a rest. We put everything down. We don't think about it. We don't, for the most part, um, you know, it's kind of hard to shut your mind off at times, but mm-hmm. we take that rest. We take that time to kind of recharge. That's awesome. Oh, you know, God, God promises you when you do that, that he will, get, he, he will give you back your time. Absolutely. You know, and it, it, it works. I mean, we have really uh, seen some amazing things come out of that. And I mean, we're very adamant about it with clients and stuff like, no, we're not working on your stuff on the weekend on, on Saturday. I'm sorry. We're, we're taking our day of rest. Dan, tell me about the, the virtual speaking. Is it, is there, is there opportunities for people that are speakers to uh, to do the virtual speaking thing, I mean, is the market open or is it pretty pretty closed? No, I think I think the market is wide open. The conferences that were scheduled have, for the most part, gone to virtual. So I haven't lost any. Well, I did too. I had a couple with universities where uh, they totally canceled the events uh-huh. because students are out, and frankly, a couple of those they said they aren't sure the students are going to come back. Here in the fall. So they wow. totally canceled the events. Other than that, though, uh, if it's in the, the business community, those events are going to go on. And there's going to be more of them. I mean, more and more organizations are looking for virtual training. More and more organizations are saying, let's do an event because it is something that we can still do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I've seen a, a growth, a really rapid growth of those events being done online. People out there like, you know, Pete Vargas putting together these big ongoing conferences where they have every day they have new speakers coming in. So, yeah, there's a lot more opportunity for that. Now, the value is for people who have, who are not just waiting to be paid as a speaker. That's mm-hmm. tough. But people who have a platform, they have a product or service that they can introduce people to. So it expands your warm list of people who then respond to the things that you're doing. And for those my goodness, yeah, those opportunities are are really out there. That's one area that I really want to um, expand in as far as my platform. I really want to get into virtual speaking. I have a gig lined up in January, but I want to kind of get a few more of those because I, I, I do see the value in that. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I love the ease of connection. I mean, when we think about the disaster that this has caused, think about if the internet disappeared. And when you go back 20 years ago, I mean, we didn't have access to communicate like we do. Right. And so, you know, there are other kinds of pandemics and challenges. But right now, I mean, think about what a bigger impact it would have if somehow the internet disappeared. Somebody foreign country hacked it or whatever. I mean, that would be major. Oh, yeah. The fact that we can't be together in person is a small ripple compared to what that would be. We can still continue to communicate. If you can't go to the office, it's easy with email or Zoom. Communicate with everybody you thought you were going to see at work anyway. So we're adapting to this Mm -hmm. and it's developing new areas of opportunity that we didn't see before. That's definitely true. And, you know, being a, being an individual that has a, has a, has a visual impairment and in Teresa's case being totally blind, you know, technology is a great equalizer for us. So that allows us to compete on an equal level with everybody else using the technology. So I think in some ways we have an advantage over, over a lot of people. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, people who were not up to speed using the internet, not up to speed using email or Zoom and the other things that we've got available, mm-hmm. you know, they, they're scrambling to catch up. You know, that's it's just a reminder. You, know, you need, need to never stop learning. You can't mm-hmm. use age as an excuse. Well, they didn't do that when I was in college. Well, maybe not. But if you're going to stay relevant and connected, and you need to stay up to speed. Is your book available already, or is it coming out soon, or where can people get a hold of it? It is available for sure. 48days.com slash loveyourwork20. Awesome. Yeah, the book is readily available. We have lots of those that are going out every day, and uh, there's lots of other bonuses that go along with that. And we'll make sure that that's included in the show notes for sure. Perfect. Oh, definitely. Dan, it has honestly been a pleasure. I can't help but enjoy every time we get to just sit down and work and and learn from you and talk to you. Um, you're a solid dude. And uh, do you have any any final words for our audience that they can kind of walk away with? Yes, I do. In light of what we've talked about here, I want to encourage people: it's never too late to have a new beginning. I mean, I talk to people who are 27 think that they majored in the wrong thing in college and now they need to just kind of coast into the grave. Oh my gosh, don't do that. You know, I talk to people who think I didn't start practicing tennis when I was three years old, so I'll never be able to be good at it. No, mm-hmm. you can start at 30. But when people are in their 40s and 50s and they think, I just lost that job that I had for 20 years, you know, and now I'm, I've got to start all over. No, you don't. You bring the maturity and the experience with you. But it doesn't matter if you're 18 or 88. It's never too late to have a new beginning. Amen. Wow. That's profound. And Dan, if people want to get a hold of you, how can they do so? The best way to connect is really that website that I gave you, the one where you go to 48days.com. Of course, 48days.com, I mean, right there. I mean, we have all the resources there, connection to our communities, our um, in my podcast, other resources that we've got. So 48days.com, that's the easiest thing to find. 
Very cool. And by the way, guys, his podcast is nails. It really is. It's a good, um, you want something uplifting to kind of distract you from the screwed up mess that we seem to be fed every day on the uh, fake stream media. Go check out his podcast. It's well worth your time. So, well, Dan, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for uh, leaving us a few gems to chew on. All right. Always great to talk to you guys. Thank you. Well, we love having you on. You're welcome back anytime. And Mike, thank you for coming on and uh, making this podcast a little more interesting. <laughs> You're welcome. It's always fun to to uh, catch up with Dan and, uh, you know, always, always a good time when we get together. I like this. Um, I'm going to repeat the, the sponsor, um, TeresaBlaze.com forward slash Eagles. Go check that out. I promise you, uh, in light of what we talked about today, it's a perfect play, way to get things going. Uh, it's a perfect way to have a community coming around you and Hey, what are you into? You know, what do you want to do? All right, cool. Let's get this done. I love it. It's a good, it's, it's a good place. Good environment. Hi, this is Teresa. I have a question. Do you know what's in your water? The fact is many cities and counties put all kinds of chemicals and stuff that is not good for your health in your water, such as fluoride, chlorine, and sometimes even arsenic. Would you like to know what you have in your water supply? You can download a free water quality report by going to fixmywater.co. Again, that is fixmywater.co. You've been listening to the Unresolved Life podcast. To catch all our past shows, go to unresolved.life. That's unresolved.life.